This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Go to a foreign country. <laughs> yeah. Appropriate a culturally important herb. Mix it with a nootropic and shill it on TikTok UGC. And it's like, people are like, oh my God, like... The Nepalese use that to meditate. <laughs> I have to buy it. <laughs> what is up, everyone? I'm your host, Simran Sandhu. I'm joined by my co-founder and co-host, Michael Sakan, and this is the Our Future podcast. We give you the tactics and strategies other entrepreneurs have used to build their business, and that can help you get rich. Now, I know Michael and I have done a few interviews in the past, but we're getting out of that. It's time to get back into our regular theme, just two guys jamming about business and the things they love. So, Mike, you got anything anything to say before we, we jump right in? Well, we got a call from our parent company, and they told us that we had to talk about how we're going to make you guys rich. So uh, <laughs> we have a little marketing tagline from upstairs. That's right. Apparently, tactics and strategies aren't enough. They got to help you get rich. <laughs> Otherwise, they're not tactics. Yeah, ta- <laughs> the, uh, the destination is the goal. It's It doesn't matter how you get there. Exactly. Well, I'll just jump right in then. So for our first guest today, there is this 26-year-old guy. His name is Nick Sharma. He is one of the most recognizable people in the D2C world, and he's bootstrapped three companies to over eight figures in revenue. And he works with companies like Feastables and Chamberlain Coffee. Dude has a great story. At 15, he was working with artists like Pitbull and Jay Sean and helping them with their social media ultimately decides it's not really what he wants to do long term. So he ends up freelancing and going deeper into paid ads and optimization. Eventually, someone on Gary V's team notices, and they hire him to lead their D2C initiatives at VaynerMedia. And a really interesting thing happens because he's learning a lot, and he starts sharing these really tactical insights on Twitter about building a consumer-based company. So he ends up building a huge following. He ends up leaving Vayner and leverages it into starting his first company, Sharma Brands, which is focused on helping consumer brands launch and build out their creative and retention strategies. Over time, he starts building out these other companies that kind of complement his work. So he creates hooks, which builds out these landing pages, and he ends up building a character, which is like a creative content studio. But really, the genius is, is that he's built this great flywheel and playbook, which is build awareness through his personal brand, offer advisory services, and then actually have companies that can go fulfill that work. And so it's made in millions, and the dude has crushed it in this space. Dude, that dude is only 26. He's only 26, right? It's the beard, That's though. It's wild. an Indian thing. You just look 40 if you got a beard. 
You're saying that you look old? Yeah. I I don't, I, I, you don't even have a beard right now, bro. <laughs> and I still it. look 30. You look like a young man. <laughs> well, dude, you're gonna you're gonna grow up past like how old you need to be for the show because we're talking to the youngest. <laughs> but uh yeah, Nick Sharma, that's a pretty crazy story. I mean, dude, I would I would hate to see one of his retainers that he charges one of these brands. Like, what do you what, what do you think he's charging these brands? Like, I don't know. I mean, his he's agency. full suite, right? So it's not like he's just offering one service. I think I he, know. he does That's offer one service if they need it. Dude, I don't know. I would bet like mid five figure packages to to even sure. six figure packages for sure. I don't. He's not working yeah. with small consumer brands. He's targeting brands that do fifty to five hundred million dollars in annual revenue, right? Like that's that you're not yeah. playing in the in the little leagues. It's crazy how many times he's done it. It's like. Okay, I'm gonna do the landing page. I'm gonna do the Facebook ads. I'm gonna do the product photography. Like he just, it's a part of the process. It's like second nature to him to be able to build a D2C brand from scratch. Right. Um, I've actually, so I didn't know you were gonna talk about him today, but I've heard his podcast before. And one of the biggest things that sends out to me about like his marketing strategy is doesn't matter what you're selling, sell a benefit, do not sell a product, right? So like if you're selling a foot cream, like, it should be you're laying in bed at 12 a.m. and your feet are tingling, right? Um, we're going to help you stop that. And I was like, that's just a really interesting way to frame. It doesn't matter what you're selling, pushing for the benefit, making people realize. Like there was another, I think, I don't know if it was, a, it might have been on My First Million that they talked about this, but like toothpaste was, they were like, oh, you have this film on your teeth, you have to remove it. It's not because it'll like make your mouth feel fresh or that right, it has right. these ingredients. It's like, you know, to get rid of, you know, this problem that you have in your life. And I just thought that was a great framework I'm going to kind of bring through to other businesses. Totally. I, I will say consumer brands find a way to like take it to an extreme. I was looking at this uh, supplements brand and they essentially were pitching you that they were going to like help you live longer and like they're going to reverse aging. And I was like, all right, now we're getting a little crazy with a lot of this marketing yeah. stuff. So they know how to push the envelope. That's for sure. No, no wonder every like 25 <laughs> year old dude who does a little jujitsu wants to do a supplement brand like you can be saying anything and yeah. like not getting sued. I think just going back to Nick and how he's built these companies, right? It was build out the expertise. And he actually did it by not only necessarily building out his own companies, but just by working for reputable people in the space. And then mm -hmm. I know we talk a lot about focus, but his story is interesting, right? Because it's not necessarily one company that is successful for him, but he's doing multiple companies at the same time. But I think the strategy holds true. I think a lot of young people, they're so caught up and they're a little indecisive, which is like, hey, maybe I should try a bunch of different companies at the same time and then see which one works and then just double down there. But the issue is, in my opinion, is that once you've kind of gone down that path, it's hard to like close the door on other opportunities, right? You will kind of want to make them all work. And so I like that he went with Sharma Brands first. He ended up building it and scaling it to a big number. And then, then he decided to scale out to these other companies and they all kind of fit in his ecosystem. So they all relate to each other and they all complement from a work standpoint. I know he worked at Hint, like Kara Golden's company. Right. Right. And like he he did his time, yeah. right? Like he did his time working for big brands and then decided, okay, like I've acquired the knowledge to go out and build my own agency. But I think what really differentiated him was just completely owning the tagline of like, I'm the D2C guy. Exactly. And I was talking about this with the person I'm going to mention later. But as a young person, really just 
attack one skill, right? Like arm yourself with like one skill and like one industry, like become the guy for it. And um, it's like, you have to be a singular spoke in the wheel. Like when you're young, you just don't have that much experience. You have limited time to get competent. Exactly. Right? So it's all about like, yeah, you don't need to be a one man show. Um, and it's all about like finding the people around you who have the strong skills that you can wrap into. And there's just kids on every university campus, every high school. And there's just these teams that like could be something, but they just need to be activated. I think you're so right. I, I seriously think you're so right because I think Sharma even has it in his bio, which is he is the D to C guy, right? There's a lot he of like value. He invented that. Yeah. He He's invented like, that. Exactly, yeah. right? There's a lot of value in being the X person. Another person that like comes to mind is my good friend, Andrew Yang. So Andrew, Nick, and I were all in the Fast Company photo shoot together, but he has effectively branded himself as the New York City tech events guy, right? It's like, it's a really like niche thing, right? You could be the Indianapolis tech events guy. You could be the Austin or the Bay Area tech events guy, right? Yeah, like yeah. you could take that in any direction, but even in Andrew's case, right? Like he moved to New York during COVID and then, you know, he was like, well, I don't know anybody. This feels like a great way that I can go meet people. So I'm just going to host a party and start, you know, inviting interesting people. And there wasn't really a business attached to that. But now when I look at the kind of opportunities that he has on his plates, it's crazy. Like brands are mm -hmm. desperate to like sponsor one of his parties and events. And I've seen his list and like he's getting offered these investor opportunities and people like want him affiliated with the company. So like. I would just say if you can find your own little niche like Andrew or Nick have and like start creating content, like the opportunities and the businesses will evolve from there. Like you will find a way to make money. Just find something that is interesting and start creating content because I bet you'll attract really interesting people. Bobby Axelrod had this like banger line uh, in Billions and he was like, <laughs> I love being rich. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I love, he's like, I love being rich. You walk into a room and yeah. it's like, you're a girl with like a very nice figure. You know exactly what everyone wants. But when you're young and you're a, gr a grinder and you're trying to get rich, have that one skill set, and then everyone will want you, especially if it's in an industry that's kind of on the rise or has a little bit of buzz around it. If you have like the tools and the skill sets in that industry, everybody's going to want that. You're going to have way too much demand for that service that you can provide or that expertise that you've developed, right? Um, so yeah, focus on that one lane, like really just lock into it. And there's a couple of different spaces, you know, that could be in, but I'll tell you, yeah. Of the kids that I know who've succeeded before 25, they've always been focused on like one thing. There haven't been Absolutely. 5 million different business ideas or kinds of, of startups they've done. It's always been like, I started this in college. I developed this skill set. I mean, even you, right? Like you were doing a, a podcast in college. You may be pursuing an opportunity and it may end up that that opportunity is not the one for you, but it will certainly evolve from there. Like you will get certain relationships. You will get certain insights and knowledge that can be taken into a much bigger opportunity. And so I think just kind of having that like positive mindset from the beginning, which is like, hey, I'm going to go into this. It may or may not work, but like there's certainly something else that can be done from this, even if it doesn't work out. Um, one right. other thing that I wanted to point out as well. So you talked a little bit about like just finding your thing and then, you know, being able to pursue that. 
So I think once you find your thing that you're interested and passionate about, it is how do you get your foot in the door with people that can actually pay you? So this can be clientele or this can be uh, potential partners in your business. So one thing that I thought Nick did really well is he used his ability as like an angel investor in the space and as a known figure to turn into clientele for his businesses. So one great story of this is um, how he started working with Feastables. So uh, Chris Cantino and his wife, Jane. Schmidt, they started uh, Schmidt's Natural, which is like this native deodorant brand. And uh, Chris reached out to Nick and he was like, hey, you know, Mr. Beast is starting this company. Like, you should think and consider about investing into it. Right. So he's like, you know, fuck it. Like Mr. Beast is like the biggest creator on the on the planet. Like, I don't give a shit if like the the, the company works out or not. Like, I want to be affiliated with that. He ends up putting like a small angel check and he gets himself like affiliated to the brand. Six months you know, down the road, he then reaches out to him and he's like, hey, I know you're starting this brand with Mr. Beast. Like, how about I come help and like advise and help you launch this thing off the ground? So they ended up being like a huge retainer client for him at Sharma Brands, right? And the same thing happened with Chamberlain Coffee. So it's like, you don't necessarily need to put 25K into a company for them to work with you. You could even like $500 check or $1,000 check or free advice or strategy um, can be like an effective way to get your foot in the door. I was like thinking about the D2C space for a while, but I just... Consumer brands are hard. They they are really hard, especially in like today's day and age. There's like a consumer brand for like soap. Like (laughs) it's like literally any commoditized product, you best believe someone is like whipping out a design on Canva or Figma or whatever. And like they're going to town, like trying to shill the shit out of it on TikTok. I know. (laughs) I know it's tough. But his podcast with Moise Ali is great. I actually really like that one. It's, It's good. It's very technical. Um, it has to be though. That's what they need, right? Like that's what yeah, it's really. It's a lot of young people trying to build consumer brands, and they're like, "Well, where the fuck do we start?" So it's like they're catering to that audience, and eventually, like I know I've used the word "evolve" like twenty times, but that's what will happen. It's like they may not have their shit figured out right now, but if I learn by listening to Moise and and Nick every single week on limited supply, like I will build a big brand, and then I owe it to those guys. Like maybe there's going to be an opportunity where I work with them down the road, and I would hope that like this podcast has a similar effect, right? It's like, hey man, I listened to Mike and Simi when I like I had never made a business. And like I learned from those guys and I was <laughs> able to do something with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I just can't wait till people mention us on a podcast when they've sold their business for a hundred mil and it's like, oh yeah, Mike and Simi, these guys, <laughs> you know, they uh they sold this small company and like they changed my life. <laughs> Dude, that would be fucking awesome. All right. Yeah. Uh can I tell you about my guy? Yeah, hit me with it. I got I got someone for you. All right. Um, so his name is Hunter Isaacson, and he's become kind of this the go-to weapon for building viral social media apps. Um, so think like Nikita Beer Gas, like that stuff. Yeah. Like he's kind yeah. of like a a little bit of like a baby version, right? Like didn't sell any of his apps to like Discord, but the dude has like worked with Nikita. He's in the trenches. He is that guy for it. So. Um, he gets into USC, um, and he has this idea for an app and it literally takes him two and a half years to get to test flight. So really, really long time. And essentially the idea was a company called, it was called leader. So it was like Gen Z Foursquare where you pick up points, post content. It's almost like gamifying life. Um, but you know, when, when COVID hits, 
pretty much everything about connecting, you know, out in town and like getting points with your friends, like that whole thing goes kaput. So um, he, six weeks after that app failed, um, he, he finds a kid and they start building an app called Zoom University. And what Zoom University was, it was like nobody could go on dates during COVID. So it was a college live double dating app. So like all these horny college kids can't meet up anymore. But this is the stick. It's me and you. So say me and you get on the app and then two girls join. So immediately the girls are more comfortable. And then you've got your boy by your side. So you're more comfortable. Dude, this and is giving like found, up. this is giving like Founders University vibes with J. Cal or Trump University vibes with Trump. It's just like what somehow you, gonna, <laughs> you somehow I feel like you're gonna get fucked. I don't know how, but like somehow like somebody <laughs> gets screwed. But yeah, keep going. Ends up like doing consulting for like a few companies. Yeah. Um, kind of just becomes known, right? Uh, as a guy who can do apps. Uh, works for GNC, Bonobos, a few brands, and then. The president of the f the former president of Musically, the company that TikTok became, sends him a cold message on LinkedIn, having seen his experience with Zoom University, because uh, that had popped off, got a few hundred thousand downloads, and was like, "Yo, I'm working on some new apps. Like, join my studio. We're just always shipping apps. Like, that's the dream. We're always shipping apps." So starts getting work working with this guy, and they build like their big winner was Wink. And it was Snapchat friend discovery. And I'm not quite sure what that means, but you essentially like have this app and you sign in with Snapchat and you can just like find and make new friends on Snap through different prompts and stuff. So apparently Wink is still crushing to this day, but Hunter's like, okay, 100K a year. I'm getting paid a salary with this guy. Like I don't really own my stuff. So he starts working on a few side projects. Uh, his buddy, Isaiah Turner, the co-founder of Gas, calls him and said like out of the blues, like, do you want to be rich? Like, do you want to be rich? And Hunter's like, yeah, I want to be rich. Like, what yes. are you talking about? The answer is yes. So <laughs> the answer is always yes, right? <laughs> Doesn't matter how you get there. Um, but here was the disruptive insight. Instagram had rolled out that feature where you don't need to have 10,000 followers to have a link in your story. Yeah. Do you yeah. remember that? Yep, yep. So yeah. So what he did was he they created a anonymous Q&A company. So it was, you don't remember Ask FM? Right? Yeah, yeah. I um, remember. That's like very yeah. high school so, vibes. Yeah. Yes. It's exactly like that. So they took advantage of the feature and built in a viral loop. Yeah. By essentially having um you 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 paste a link and it says ask me anything and you put it on your Instagram story. You click the link, it takes you to the app. And then you have to ask the person the question in the app. And then when they reply, you then upload the apply the reply to your story. So it's instantly just using Instagram's distribution to grow. And becomes really big. So that's kind of like what he's known for. He's scaling that down, working on a few more things now. But it ended up getting, I think, number one or two on the App Store for a time. Um, and it's done 1.5 million downloads. So uh, you're telling no, me this sorry. guy... Dude, dude, I'm not... No, 120 million downloads. Wow. So you're telling me this guy has just like found the playbook for creating viral consumer apps. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yes. And he told me it. Yeah, he literally told me the playbook too. Well, tell us the playbook. That's what we're here for. Repeat a playbook that's already been successful for another app in a new lane. And what he means by that is like anonymous Q&A has been around forever, right? Like it actually plays into the most like innate of human desires to figure out like, 
are people interested in me and what do they think of me, right? So 100%. it like appeals to those yeah. those seven deadly sins. It's such a viral thing. I mean, it's also kind of like, I think that was Nikita Beer's first idea was an anonymous Q&A, but he just did it in a new lane. The link feature on Instagram stories was a game changer, being able to ask people, hey, like ask me a question anonymously, right? That was the distribution unlock, just the one little hack, right? He talks about how Uber, you know, is in the US, Grab is the exact same company. It's in Southeast Asia, right? You just have to find the market that's untapped. Nobody was doing anonymous Q&A on Instagram. And then if you build companies for the seven deadly sins, you'll always be rich. And people would be, and you'd be surprised what happens at these big tech companies. Um, there's so many dirty tricks to like retain people and, and keep them on these apps. He was just telling me, kind of threw that out there. Um, but yeah, he says, start with one feature. So the playbook is, Start with one feature, come up with something that's so straightforward, build a single user journey. A lot of times people build apps with so many unnecessary features, clouding the one, which ends up clouding the one good feature. So you have to start with one feature, build one user journey, and then just do one thing, a share. So, so give rate. me an example. Give me an example. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So is it, is it a share? You have to get a loop going, right? So, um, you have to create simple flows that people want to copy and do it really fast. So he says he should be able to download your app and have the aha moment in 60 seconds. So he should be able to immediately understand that this is controversial. Is it fun? It has to have all this emotion in a tight amount of time. And there's too much competition for it to not have that. And there needs to be, again, a single user flow, a funnel, an MVP around that one feature and don't do what he did, which is spend two and a half years flailing around in the water, not shipping anything. Um, focus on that one feature. What that, would that that's cost? What makes apps. If I wanted to go like repeat this playbook on a very simple level, how much how much money would I have to fork over? Yeah, I don't know how much it costs to build like an iPhone and Android app. Um, he did talk about spending, I think, only ten grand. Okay. Um, yeah, on the marketing reasonable. side, so yeah. he did like small influencer deals. Um, and he, another good tactic was to use test markets as a sandbox. Um, so like he would use the Nordic countries or New Zealand to be like, okay, like do people like this or not? And I thought that was pretty funny built for Android first when most people think they should build for iPhone first. Um, but yeah, wait, I mean, wait, I, no, I no, go deeper into that. Why, what do you mean go into Android first? Are people more receptive so, to this kind of bullshit on there? <laughs> No, <laughs> dude, you're being like classist about Android. No, it's like international, like it, it, people internationally, like 90% of people have Androids, right? So um, going to markets that weren't the US to test app features and see how people responded to them was just like a sandbox, right? That's and it so helped to refine yeah. his product. Yeah. So it's like, go and market your app somewhere else with the Android and then see like, okay, like how, how let me see the user data. Let me see the funnel. And then let me just like tweak a few things, bring it to the United States. The crazy thing to me about these kind of like apps is it's just targeting like young kids insecurity. It's like, oh shit, what did yeah. like Sarah or like, you know, Elise have to say about me at, at school, right? Like, and you're going to pay yeah. the little tokens or coins or whatever it costs to figure out the answer. Um, but like going back to the international point, I really do believe that because I look at all of my friends and family still in India. <clears throat> 
they are playing these apps constantly. Like, even if you took something like Candy Crush, like that thing phased out of America like years ago, there's probably still a small percentage of people that still play, but I am telling you, the Indian people love it. If there is one consumer base that is keeping that app alive, it is our friends in India. So um, yeah, I never <laughs> really thought about like going international first, uh, kind of you know tweaking it and being able to tell like what really works and then bringing it over to the US audience. Well, yeah, you know, it's just like the United States foreign policy, right? Just throw another, throw another country under the rug. Um, <laughs> hey, this ain't all in. <laughs> we gotta stay in our I lane know. here. But usually, usually, foreign countries are behind the U.S. when it comes to like adoption of products, cultural trends. Dude, you um, say that, but like maybe sometimes they're ahead. You you say that, but now I see it more and more, which is like something happens internationally. And then it kind of finds its way into the U.S. A good example of this is the guy we know in New York. His name's Kanan Saleh, right? Like the whole thesis for that company was they were already doing it in Europe, which was like this outdoor advertising play, essentially like these boards that would go on top of Ubers and Lyfts and people would be able to display ads, right? So that was something that was already being done in Europe. And he was like, fuck it, no one is doing this in the US, so why not just bring it over here? And I feel like there's examples of this over and over. Sam Ratner, same thing, right? Like people were already doing gambling and betting in these other countries, fuck it, I'm gonna just bring it to the US. Yeah, you're right. Uh, you could also look at like live shopping in China. Yeah. Um, and then you could you could also look at like, you remember when I made that tweet? It was like the, the playbook for D2C. Go to a foreign country. Yeah. <laughs> appropriate a culturally important herb. Mix it with a nootropic and shill it on TikTok UGC. And it's like, people are like, oh my God, like the Nepalese use that to meditate? <laughs> I have to buy it. <laughs> oh man, it's Americans crazy. want something. Americans want things that don't make them feel like because Americans, America's devoid of culture. We're yeah. just a bunch of cult. We just have a bunch of cultural imports. Yeah, but yeah. Would you say any other like playbook. kind of important takeaways from this? Yeah, I mean, of course, the guy's awesome. Uh, dude had like a huge katana behind his head while I was talking to him, and like stormtrooper and. Dude, I swear to God, it's a lawsuit waiting to happen. I've never seen much Marvel and DC stuff next to each other. <laughs> he's like, he's all like, dude, so what do you have that? He's like, well, dude, what, he's like, once I got that big boy money, I wanted to buy all those things I wanted as like a small boy as a kid. And I was like, okay. What Hunter was saying is like the app community is super tight knit. Like everybody knows everybody. It's kind of like, I guess, in building like a media brand, like every kind of like who all people on Twitter who've done media, like everyone kind of knows each other. It's a small world. It's also the same way with apps. So he said, like, they're always sharing data um, and they're always just like, you know, helping one another improve their craft because they're just like this tight knit group, you know. How does one um, get into the group? Well, I just th- your ticket to entry is knowledge, like or at least displayed knowledge. Right. So it's like, OK, like I've, I've done it. I know how to do it. Now I'm going to get accepted into the group. OK, so here is my thought on how you break into these kind of peer to peer groups. Right. Every area has its own little insider group. If you go to e-com, they've got like their seven-figure brand owners, eight-figure brand owners. In my opinion, the best way to get entry into that group is find someone that you can work with in there, right? So find someone who fits the the diagram or fits the profile of a successful app builder or a successful e-com brand owner and be like, hey, you know, we can help you do X, right? You can even be a consulting partner or maybe you're like on their team, right? And get them to kind of show you the ropes. You 
always will have an easier time if you're getting like a warm lead or warm entry into like an existing group rather than being on the outside and trying to find your way into the club. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's way easier to just have someone who's like, hey, this guy is trusted. He's vetted. Like, I enjoy working with him and I think he can add value and actually contribute to the group. Yeah, I think that's a good framework. Um, you just have to you just have to know what you're doing. I I don't know if there's any like one strategy to like get accepted into like a peer group for your industry because I don't know. I feel like you'll just more or less naturally like meet the people. Like I remember what I was saying is like um, my mentor, my like my idols are now contacts in my phone. Like that's what that's the biggest thing that changed for me after two years of building. Well, like I think the people that, I admired, yeah, the people I admired are now like in like connections, like well, their I, industry I think contacts. There's, there's so I can really ask two ways, too. right? Like one is like you kind of brute force your way in, which is you already meet the requirements to be in the club. Or the second is like someone trusted or someone who is vetted introduces you in there, right? In the scenario mm -hmm. you just described with us, we brute forced our way, right? Like we sold a company in the space and now people had to pay attention to us, right? Like it, it wasn't necessarily like one of those things that we were just kind of, you know, like someone was trying to do a favor. It was like, no, it's like they've been vetted or they've been kind of morning brewified, right? Like we had that stamp on us. Um, or I yeah. think alternatively, like what we had been doing up to this point is like, hey, we're working with MFM, we're working with Sam, right? And then Sam was kind of that like wedge for us to kind of get inserted in the media community, especially in Austin. So we kind of did both things if you think about it. You know, we're telling you to get rich uh, on this podcast. Um, don't let it change you. That's right. So don't with that, you. don't let it change you. With that, guys, uh, we're wrapping it up. Uh, subscribe on YouTube um, or, you know, we have the audio apps as well. Uh, we'll be back next week, but yeah, we're trying to get it back going on the on the flow with the the normal episodes. Enough of these other guys controlling the narrative. So That's we'll right. see you guys soon. All right, y'all, stay frosty. All right. Stay frosty. Peace.